Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. It was vital, man. Honestly, coming all the way out here from South Carolina, you know, really never really been out of this state you know, for much of my life. So coming all the way out here to Vegas, you know, everything new, having having Hunter here for support, man, just a familiar face from back home. He helped me so much just mentally, you know, you get a little homesick and you just got a guy right there that kind of understands you, man. That's huge. That's Brian Edwards. The hit, one of the hits. There's been many hits. Trust me when I say that uh, of Raiders camp so far. A lot of guys, at least early on through the first week of practice or the first week of training camp, that you wanted to see take steps forward are taking steps forward. Henry Ruggs looks better than he did last year. Should be the case going into year two, as high of a draft pick as he was, as much talent as he uh, has, as much work as he put in, in, into it in the offseason, which is obvious by anybody you talk to. You just have to look at Henry to realize that dude hit the weight room. That dude listened to his nutritionist. Uh, that dude worked on parts of his game that were holding him back uh, last year. So it's it's only natural that he should be better. Uh, it would have been almost unacceptable if he wasn't. On the other hand, it's still good to report, if you're a Raider fan, or to hear that Henry Ruggs seems to be on target, seems to be on the right path. That's all you can hope for. And now it has to translate uh, onto the field. Brian Edwards. Brian Edwards was a hit of camp last year. We were writing about Hen- uh, about Brian Edwards. Like, whoa, okay, this guy's got the size. This guy's got the catch radius. This guy's got enough speed. This guy's tough. You saw it translate into practice when when Derek Carr went his way. And as Derek Carr uh, spoke about today, uh, he was going his way. Even when, you know, like, like he would make sure that on – Edwards's reps that he was the one that was throwing it to him. Sometimes it's like a um, you know when you're when you're out on the uh, quarterback throwing to the wide receiver. Uh, you know when when they're doing those reps, it's, it's sometimes happenstance who you're working with. Well, because you know the wide receivers are getting their work in, the quarterbacks are getting their work in, making all their throws, whatever those those throws might be. Um, but Derek Carr made it a point to make sure that he was throwing when it was Brian Edwards's rep. And he was doing that for future purposes. He knew that Brian Edwards probably wasn't going to be a big part uh, of the offense in general, but he knew that eventually he would. So he wanted to get time and task done now, like establish that right now, so that for future use it was going to come in handy, and it certainly has uh, now. So there were a lot of times last year where Derek Carr made sure to be lined up with Brian Edwards so that he was thrown to Brian Edwards and that they were intuitively uh, building that chemistry, building that trust, uh, uh, building the timing and, and all of those good things. Now, here's the thing. Henry or Brian Edwards was on target to push his way into a fairly decent role last year, but then he got hurt. 
If you remember, uh, third game of the year against the uh, New England Patriots, I was there in New England. He got uh, dragged down from behind. I cringed when it happened. It looked like he uh, hurt the uh, the leg seriously. It was just a dangerous tackle. They didn't throw the flag uh, for horse collar. They could have easily done that and been justified in doing so. Uh, but the point is, he got hurt. Brian Edwards got hurt. It was a knee and it was an ankle. And from that moment on, he's working his way back uh, into the swing of things. And we've talked about this so many times when you're a rookie, you're just trying to keep up as it is, all right? And you're trying to keep up with the train. The train has left the station. And when you get hurt, you have to step off that train for a little while to go mend yourself and get ready and get fixed and and all those good things. But that train, it doesn't stop. It keeps chugging down the line, down the tracks. And so then when you come back which he did, you know, four, five, six weeks later or so. Now he's got to try to jump back onto the train. Have you ever seen, you know, those comedies where the guy's running down the train and trying to get on the train, trying to jump back on the train, and somebody might be reaching out to help him get on the train? You know, we've all seen that in, in the movies or on TV. Ha, ha, ha. Well, it's hard to get back on a train that's moving, right? Sometimes it's impossible. But that NFL train doesn't stop for rookies or anybody else that gets hurt and has to go off to the side for a little bit and work on their own uh, and to get back. So imagine being that happens for veterans, too. But imagine now being a rookie that, you know, you're trying to catch up. You're trying to play catch up. And in, in, in Brian's case, and this was the case for Henry Ruggs, too. Henry Ruggs got hurt in the first game uh, of the year. And so, you know, when they're trying to play catch up, and they're not even necessarily 100% um, healthy because you're, you're just trying to get back as quickly as you can. You're probably not going to be 100%. You're just as good as you possibly can be. Can I, and you're begging, begging, begging the training staff, the coaches, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Please let me back in. The training staff's not yet, not yet. I need to see what I need to see. Uh, you need to uh, you know, check off all the boxes before I'm going to sign off on that. So uh, the minute he does, it doesn't mean you're 100% cur- um, you know, good in terms of the health. You're just good enough. So you've got that in the back of your mind, too, as you're trying to play catch-up. And sometimes it just takes a long time. And in Brian Edwards's case, it didn't quite – happen uh, as quickly as he would have hoped, as quickly as the Raiders would have hoped. There were a lot of reasons why. He wasn't completely healthy. Uh, he suffered the setback in terms of, you know, keeping up with things. Derek Carr is going to be looking in different directions. You know, the offense was moving in another direction. Uh, it had Not that it moved on from Brian Edwards, but it had established a, a, a rhythm. It had established some, some, you know, guys like Nelson Aguilar had made up a, a big step forward. Uh, so he's playing uh, catch up, trying to fit in where he could. And it was frustrating uh, for, for, for you know, Brian Edwards because he's used to being the go-to guy at South Carolina. Come on. Wherever Brian Edwards has been, he's the guy that's gonna, that the offense or that the passing game is going to be built around. Well, now he's trying to fit in where he can. He's not completely healthy. Uh, he's playing a mental catch-up a little bit. He's trying to earn the trust of Derek Carr. He's trying to earn the trust of John Gruden, who calls the plays. Uh, it's tough. It's not the easiest thing in the world. This wasn't an established veteran who got hurt, came back, and Derek Carr is like, hurry. Like, if Darren Waller gets hurt right now, um, and actually he is hurt right now, that's a perfect example. When he gets back, there's not going to be any sort of transition. If he's good to go, 
everything is going to be fine. He knows the offense, like the back of his hand. Derek Carr knows him. There's a trust factor. There's a confidence. Uh, there's a chemistry. Uh, he's going to fit right back in because it's Darren Waller. He's already established. That wasn't the case, obviously, for Brian Edwards last year. He had to try to figure out a way to kind of get back into uh, the flow and the confidence level and all of that with the quarterback, with the coach. It's just almost overwhelming, and it's the cards are stacked against you in that regard uh, as a rookie. And let's not forget, Derek Carr and Brian Edwards didn't even have a chance to build a foundation in the offseason. The offseason was kaput because of COVID-19. So, um, you know, and I talked to Brian about this, about the fact that, you know, uh, that, that frustration of trying to get back into the swing of things uh, when the train is, is moving down uh, the train tracks. Uh, but the importance also that he finally found his way. He finally found his way back. It wasn't until the last game of the year. Uh, but I remember I was there in Denver and he had a nice game, two touchdown uh, receptions. He finished strong. And um, I asked him, how, was that important for you? And he's like, absolutely. It was important because it vaulted me into the offseason. I mean, he would have gone into the offseason uh, ready to get back to work regardless. But when, you're, when you finish with a big game, and it was a big game for, for him, it was, you know, he finally kind of got back into the swing of things um, and, and was a factor in a win, made a couple of really nice catches, scored a couple of touchdowns. It was a nice day, nice night. Uh, for for Brian Edwards, and it gave him the confidence now, like, whew, all right, man, that was a challenge. That was a struggle, trying to figure it all out, find my way. I'm, going, I'm overcoming injuries. I'm learning a new playbook. I'm trying to establish trust with a new quarterback and a new coaching staff, um, and, and it was a struggle at times, and there were down moments and frustrations and doubt, um, but at the very end, just when it was about ready to finish up and wrap up, he finished on a strong note. It was so important mentally for him to be able to go into the offseason knowing, like, you know, I found my way back, and it's still possible, and that's what I am capable of doing. Now I want to do it more and more and more and more, and I think that the strong offseason that he had, and, and talking to Brian Edwards, and again, this goes back to our point of what we talked about yesterday, where did Brian Edwards go? He stayed put. Yes, he went back home to South Carolina for a little while. You're going to do that. You know, you need time off. Everybody needs some time off. Go visit with the family, with the friends. He went back to South Carolina, hooked up with his old coaches, some former teammates trying to, you know, be a light for them, as he talked about, you know, being this, this you know, hey, that's Brian Edwards, NFL player now. He's one of us. You know, if he could do it, we could do it type thing. So he, he was a role model uh, back at campus uh, at South Carolina, but pre- predominantly, for the most part, he stayed right here in Las Vegas, which he talked about kind of falling in love with this area and becoming a member of this community. He bought a house. Uh, he's becoming an adult. Uh, this is now his city. He knows this is his place of employment. This is where he wants to be. Uh, and most important of all, he got a chance to go to the facility day in and day out with everybody else that was out there. And we've talked and talked and talked about how that facility here uh, in in Henderson or in Henderson uh, was kind of a magnet for all the players that stayed put here in Las Vegas and a place where they went on a daily basis almost, pushing each other, challenging each other, encouraging each other, building bonds. What did I tell you about that conversation with Alec Ingold? Right after OTAs, right after the minicamp, and they had put some work in for two months, two months, uh, they deserved you know some time off before training camp. Hey man, you know enjoy your enjoy your time off. What time off? 
There's no time off, Vinny. We're going to work the next 40 days harder than we worked the past eight months or the past two months. You can count on that. There's no days off. And I was like, okay, you know, good, you know, you know, enjoy it regardless. And without a doubt, they took advantage, a whole group of them, by staying put here in Las Vegas and getting to work over uh, at the facility in Henderson. It's going to be a big bonus moving forward. Uh, that, as John Gruden spoke about, you know, you're in a state now. There's no state tax. It's affordable to live here year-round. All love to the Bay Area. I worked in Los Angeles for many years. That wasn't always the case. A lot of Ram players, you know, had to move out of town or go back home where it was, you know, cheaper to live or more cost-effective to live because Los Angeles had priced even them out, making the money that they'd make. But, you know, when you counter taxes, when you factor in taxes and everything else, fee for your agent, all of that stuff, that money goes pretty quickly. And, you know, you're like, hey, where'd, where'd my paycheck go? Where's my, oh, where's all my money uh, going? Uh, you know, I'm living here in, in California where it's very expensive to live. I got to go home where, you know, for, for the six months that, that I'm home and just stay put there and be able to put some money away. I always tell this story when I was covering the Rams. Uh, I was talking to one of their young offensive linemen, Brian Allen. And uh, he was a rookie from Michigan State. We're talking in the locker room one day. Uh, it's about maybe uh, a third of the way into the season, his rookie season. I go, hey, have you found a place where you live? And yeah, I'm, I'm in Woodland Hills. Oh, cool, cool. Woodland Hills, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a nice uh, uh, a city in the San Fernando Valley. Um, you know, not, it's not in the heart of Los Angeles, but it's part of Los Angeles County and it's, 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 it's a great area. Uh, and I was like, oh, cool. You know, uh, do you have any roommates? He goes, oh yeah. You know, Hey, you're in LA. You got to get some roommates. I go, who are your roommates? And he started pointing right here, right here. We're in the locker room and he's pointing out like four teammates. So it was five offensive line, five rookie players, a couple offensive linemen, some other position players. It was the, the, the cost of living was like that for those rookies. Now, granted, Brian Allen was like a fourth round pick, so he's not making bank. He's making money that a lot of people would love to have, but it's still not like necessarily life changing money. And by the way, it's not guaranteed. You know, he's not on, he's not one of those type of dudes where he got a big, huge signing bonus uh, and whatever signing bonus he got, he put away. And to be <laughs> in order for those guys uh, to maximize things, they got together and got a house and rented it uh, in Los Angeles. That was the case. I know that was the case for a lot of young Raider players. Uh, if I remember correctly, Foster Moreau and Alec Engel, their rookie years, and maybe somebody else were living uh, near Jack London Square where it's incredibly expensive uh, to live there just on your own. And I'm not kidding around. It costs a lot of money. Uh, to get a place uh, in, in that area. Here in Las Vegas, you can make do. With what they're making, you can make do year-round uh, out here in a nice, nice way. So there's no real reason to want to go live anywhere else. Um, as Brian Edwards talked about, you got to get used to the heat, of course. Um, that is something that, you know, a bit of a challenge, something that you have to deal with. Uh, but once you get past that, it's not a bad place to live at all. And there's nice neighborhoods in and around where the facility is and it's cost effective. And a lot of these players just decided, I'm going to buy my house here. I'm going to live here. And oh, by the way, I've got this beautiful, sparkling, state-of-the-art facility that I could go to at my leisure along with my other teammates and be able to get the necessary work in. That's a huge advantage that the Raiders did not have up in Oakland, not speaking ill will whatsoever 
about Oakland. But let's be practical here. As John Gruden pointed out, there's a state tax in California, right? There's just, it costs a lot more to live in California when you're talking about rent, when you're talking about uh, you know mortgages, all of that. So it all plays into it. And it's just more conducive to chemistry building, team bonding. You know, guys are having, remember, you know, uh, hearing Derek Carr talking about uh, the barbecues that he had at his house and bringing all of his teammates over there uh, for for great uh, barbecues and, and you know, uh, outings and things like that. Derek Carr talked about that in, in, in Oakland and not to talk badly about Oakland at all, but he's like, you know, everyone lived an hour away or, or an hour and a half away, literally. That's often what, what what was the case in order to find some place that was affordable or some place that was super nice away from the facility. You had to go a long distance, and sometimes it wasn't necessarily the long distance. It was just the traffic was so bad that it took you an hour, an hour and a half to get where you wanted to go. Here, everything the furthest you're away from anybody is about thirty five minutes. That's tops. Normally, it's just minutes away uh, from from uh, you know your your teammates, your coaches, or where you want to be, or where you want to go, or where, where you want to go out to eat. Uh, so it's just it's it's the situation uh, is 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 better here for what the Raiders are trying to do, especially a young team, a bunch of guys that haven't gotten that second contract yet, uh, that are still trying to make ends meet relatively speaking. Uh, so I think that being here in Las Vegas and, and Brian Edwards talked about it, I stayed here. I stayed here. He went out to the parks to throw with uh, Derek Carr. Uh, he went to the facility to work on his body and work on, you know, with the strength and conditioning coach. You know, they're able to get out on the field with their strength and conditioning coaches or with each other to throw the ball around. It's in a safe environment. You've got, you know, medical people there just in case something goes awry or you get hurt or whatever. Um, again, it's just an advantage now that the Raiders have that they didn't have necessarily uh, in, in Oakland. And you can say that about, you know, some, some other places across the league where, you know, for other reasons, Green Bay. Yes, Green Bay is highly cost-effective to live. But, you know, guys don't necessarily want to live in Green Bay because you're dealing with unbelievably crazy winters for the months that you're not playing football. Football season ends in January, right, for most teams. Uh, maybe February, if you're lucky enough to go to the Super Bowl, but February, March, April, those are pretty darn cold uh, months uh, in those cities. And it doesn't really start warming up until June or so in some of those areas. Uh, so you have to take that into account. Uh, but I think the Raiders are situated perfectly here in Las Vegas uh, and their practice facility at Henderson for a young team uh, that that seems to be kind of bonding together and using this location uh, to, to work on that or to, uh, to for their benefit. And that's only going to benefit the team uh, as well. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Yeah, I mean, I guess his abilities and his um, pedigree speak for itself. Obviously, last year they had a pretty good offense and uh, added me and a few other pieces in free agency in the draft. Um, 
I feel like he, you know, he's looking at this offense to continue to uh, that same trajectory into this season. Um, excited about the way he's using me personally, obviously, but um, the whole offense is, is a, and in general uh, with four at the helms, uh, I feel like it's uh, definitely going to really click this year. So I'm excited to see what we accomplish. That's Raiders running back, new Raiders running back, Kenyon Drake. By the way, you're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Brought to you by Tequila Embajador, uh, Kenyon Drake. Uh, really impressed with his, he's got this cerebral sort of way about him. Uh, and I'm noticing that um, in regards to a lot of these young Raider players, uh, some of the players that they've brought in, Unique Ngakwe, uh, Kenyon Drake without question, some of the players that they've drafted, uh, the demeanor, we've talked about Alex Leatherwood and sort of the veteran presence uh, that he already has. It's just the way uh, he's wired. And I think that's a great uh, sign moving forward. But, you know, in, in talking to a guy like Kenyon Drake and how he sees the game, how he feels the game, uh, the way he expresses um, his thoughts about the game, uh, it's just kind of a smart, intelligent, uh, really breath of fresh air uh, way that he looks at things. And Josh Jacobs as well, talking to Josh Jacobs and hearing his thoughts um, and, and what he talks about in terms of his teammates, his role. Um, it just feels like the Raiders, uh, slowly but surely, um, are, are bringing good people into the building. And I, I don't discount that uh, whatsoever. Uh, that's something that I know, having been around professional sports as long as I have, and I can go all the way back to the Showtime Los Angeles Lakers, and how important culture is. And John Gruden talked over the weekend when we talked about when we talked to him about this, or maybe it was uh, when we talked to him yesterday, my days are kind of running together, but he talked about how this culture, the culture, uh, the work ethic um, that he's feeling from this team is as good, if not better, than any he's been around in his entire career. I don't take that lightly because I understand how important uh, it is. Uh, I go back to last year, right, uh, when we've talked about this so many times where how many times did the Raiders, you know, at what point did the Raiders falter most and most frequently, especially defensively? Big games or big time situations, third downs where you got to make the stop, get the ball back to Derek Carr, let him do his thing, let him extend the lead. Maybe they're up by seven, uh, give him the ball back, try to get it up to 14. A third and 14, just get him off the field, get the ball to Derek Carr. When were the Raiders most disconnected? Those moments. Late game situations, looking disconnected, disorganized sometimes. And that doesn't necessarily, you know, I'm not, when I say culture, uh, there, culture could take many types of uh, directions. There's just a culture of accountability, of intelligence, um, of a, a culture that sort of, encourages or increases the likelihood of being able to make plays when plays are needed need to be made a lot of that is confidence a lot of that that is is building a body of work where you believe in yourself the most in those situations i felt like last year the raiders believed themselves believed in themselves especially on defense least in those moments and they played like it when you don't believe in your ability to make that play or to stand up to that challenge, that's going to affect the way you see things, the way you play, the way you react. And so that culture of uh, being your best when you, nothing less than your best is required, 
it, it almost can't happen uh, because maybe you're not sure of your assignment. Maybe you're not sure of the guy next to you that he's going to get the job done or be where he's supposed to be. And there's doubt that starts getting, cre- um, you know, creeping in. Culture that you know a, a good culture can be how your confidence uh, is displayed and how confident you are. And I look at the you know what the Raiders are building, who they're uh, bringing into this building, and who they're kind of building this thing around. And from Derek Carr, Kenyon Drake, Unique Ngakwe, uh, Richie Incognito, who has kind of a way about him uh, uh, himself. It might be a little bit you know uh, get off my lawn type of old dude uh, type of of a mentality, but. You know, he does it with a smile and uh, a way where I think that other guys kind of like and react well to. Um, You know, you've got Darren Waller, who, um, you know, is one of those. He's just a dude that gets it in a lot of different ways um, and articulate and, you know, has a way about him and a a great demeanor. Derek Carr talks about Darren Waller being the the least or or the the superstar with the least amount of ego that he's ever been around, the big star that with the least amount of ego, and that's important uh, because other people see that if if there's nobody on this team that has a right to kind of act like you know he's the big dog in town and on the team and in the room, then Darren Waller. There's nobody that put, has put up the numbers that Darren Waller has these last couple of years, and yet he's you know, as humble as it gets. And that, you know, other people pick up on that. And if they're like, if I'm not doing those type of numbers, if not, if I'm not putting up uh, those kind of numbers, then I have no right to have any kind of an ego right now, any kind of an unhealthy ego, uh, I should say. I think ego is important uh, because it reflects some sort of a belief in yourself. And you have to have that belief in yourself to succeed at this level because um, if you don't believe in yourself, nobody, and nobody, A, nobody else will. And B, you're going to play like you don't believe in yourself, and that's the last thing uh, that you want. But you, you know, you listen to um, somebody like Kenyon Drake and how much he gets it and how he sees it. It really is kind of a breath of fresh air, and it's why I I wanted to talk to him about. You know, he's played for a number of different in a number of different systems for a number of different coaches um, and a number of different great play callers. Uh, but you know, his thoughts on like playing with John Gruden. John Gruden has always had this mad scientist type persona, you know, um, he's the guy that you can picture, you know, working late into the night in his lab, drawing up plays. And he literally does. He literally does, uh, do that. And, you know, players will talk about, you know, when they get in the building on a game week to see what he's installing and what he's putting in and the new plays that he's putting in. And, and, you know, uh, they're like, Whoa, coach got after it on the, uh, you know, drawing up these plays. The Rams used to do that too. They would be big smiles on faces of like Robert Woods, you know, and Cooper Cup because Sean McVay was drawing up ways for them to to shine that week. Um, and, and so hearing Kenyon Drake today talk about, you know, now playing for John Gruden and and everything that John Gruden uh, brings to the brings to the table, uh, it's really interesting. But I just like the vibe. I like when you look at this team. We talked about it yesterday. How the 2019 group. It's kind of taking ownership of this team in terms of the heartbeat, uh, in terms of the the kind of the soul of the team. Yeah, Derek Carr is the face of the franchise, and rightfully so. And and you know he's the out front um, personification of these Raiders. That's often the case with the quarterback, 
but right below that, there's a heartbeat. You know, there's there's a bloodstream, uh, and and you have to have a foundation. There's a group that kind of um, is that 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 takes that role uh, of a team. And if it's not good, and if it's disjointed, and it's and and it's 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 weak minded or um, it's not connected, uh, then that's going to show. And there's going to be splinters, and there's going to be, you know, guys are going to be going there uh, in, in different ways. And that's not, that doesn't bode well for winning. But when this 2019 group came onto the scene and promised to themselves, to each other, in group chats, to each other, face to face, like we're going to be the reason this thing gets turned around or this thing gets restored, we're going to be build that bridge that delivers the Raiders back to prominence. We're going to be that bridge. And they challenged each other uh, and pushed each other, whether it was in the offseason, the classroom, the weight room, uh, to, to have that kind of singular goal. Yeah, each guy had its own, his own journey. Each guy had his own uh, path that they had to take, uh, agenda. You know, everyone has... You know, something that's different that they're trying to accomplish for themselves, whether it's to make the team, whether it's to have a great rookie year, win a role, win a spot in the rotation, win a starting job. So you have to think of things as an individual and take care of yourself. Uh, but normally, if you do that the right way and with the collective in mind, then you're going to um, grow as an individual and the team that you're connected to is going to grow collectively as well. And they to a man sort of made that mandate to themselves that, hey, we're going to be the reason why this thing gets turned around. Josh Jacobs, Max Crosby, Cleve Farrell, Trayvon Mullen, Alec Ingold, uh, Foster Moreau, Jonathan Abram, you know, and A.J. Cole. Now Andre James, the starting center. He came in as an undrafted free agent that year as well. Now you're starting to see out on the field how it's kind of manifested itself. These are third-year players. These are no longer wet-behind-the-ear rookie players who are um, you know, just trying to kind of find their way. They've established themselves for the most part. I know Jonathan Abrams still needs to kind of take a big step forward. Uh, he understands that. But this, and, and there's always improvement. You, know, you look at Max Crosby. You look at Clee Farrell. They're on a constant pursuit to improve individ- individually. That's never going to change. Um, but it's no longer, hey, just happy to be here and just trying to kind of blindly find my way uh, as an NFL player trying to you know, figure it all out. Uh, um, it's more like, yeah, we're here. This is the standard that we're trying to set. This is the standard that we're going to hold not just each other individually to or that group collectively to, but the whole darn team. They're going to speak for the, for the team in terms of what's expected, uh, what the um, standard should be. And it's just really cool to see that uh, because this is something that they preordained for themselves. They saw this as their future. And when you look at the makeup of that group, Alabama, Clemson, 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 Ohio, you know, Ohio State came a year later, but, you know, Wisconsin, Alec Ingold, they won 42 games when, in his four years. That's a lot of football games to win over the course of 10 years. 
No, they weren't winning national championships uh, in Madison, but they were winning Big Ten championships uh, or challenging for it and playing in big games, playing in Big Ten uh, championship games. Wisconsin, say what you want. It might not be LSU, obviously, where Foster went to or Alabama or Clemson. They're just not getting that talent year in and year out. But if you're a college football fan and you're not a fan of LSU or you know Alabama or uh, Clemson or one of the just the perennial Ohio State, one of the perennial perennial powers. You, any, if you're a fan of any other program outside of that, you want to be kind of a Wisconsin. Yeah, you want to get to where Clemson is and Alabama is, but you would take the kind of team and the co- kind of program that Wisconsin has become. The point being, Alec Ingold sees what a great program looks like from the inside out, understands what it takes to win. At that level, and we talked about this yesterday, the principles that go into winning on D- at D- Division Three, Division Two, II, Division One, the SEC, the ACC, the NFL, wherever you're talking about, it's all the same. The principles are the same. It's about dedication. Well, first of all, it's about talent, of course. Development, commitment, dedication. Rowing in the same direction, setting your egos aside, creating a standard that you don't deviate from, understanding what it takes, understanding what not to do. That's almost as important as what to do. And, you know, when you come from the programs that a lot of these Raider players have come from, you see what it looks like. You see what it feels like. You don't want anything less than that. So, you know, and and when this group came in, of course, the Raiders were 4-12. and 12. It wasn't going to happen overnight, and they understood that. They understood that it was going to be a process, but they weren't going to settle for staying the same. They weren't going to settle for just being happy to be here in the NFL and let's just go make some money and try to make some plays and have some fun. No. What they decided amongst themselves and continually to the present time push each other to aspire to be is to turn this into a winning program and not just a fleeting type of a winning, but creating a standard that ensures long range success that ultimately is going to create a tradition of success. And that's what that 2019 group wants to do. Will they get there? We'll see. Uh, But I give them a lot of credit for taking on that challenge when I don't think that everyone uh, is is A, capable, or B, willing uh, to do. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Vatar. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. A little big signing uh, for the Raiders. Somewhat of a big signing. We'll see. Uh, But uh, they made it official uh, by signing Gerald McCoy, the defensive tackle. uh, Six-time Pro Bowler. Uh, Gerald McCoy, um, he had been in the building uh, earlier today for a workout. Obviously, the Raiders liked what they saw. Uh, They brought in Gerald McCoy. I think that, you know, the pedigree, the resume speaks for itself, right? Uh, This dude is a guy that's played at a really high level. We'll see what kind of gas he has left in the tank. Uh, But it gives the Raiders uh, another piece along that rebuilt defensive line. It'll be kind of interesting to see uh, who gets moved out or pushed aside 
uh, as a result because you bring in Gerald McCoy and uh, he's going to play. Uh, if he's got something left in the tank and shows uh, that he's still capable, uh, does that mean Darius Phylon? Does it mean Sarah, uh, Solomon Thomas? Uh, those are the two primary uh, interior interior uh, backups uh, right now. Does it mean anything for Cleve Farrell? Uh, not quite sure. But I think it would probably be more along the lines of Solomon Thomas and uh, and Darius Phylon, uh, those two positions. Does that mean maybe Solomon Thomas plays a little bit more outside? Um, I don't know. We're going to have to wait and see. Uh, but not a bad uh, signing when you could go get a player of that caliber. I know that it's not Gerald McCoy of six years ago. Uh, but if he's somebody that can give them something, well, then it's a worthwhile uh, pickup. So the Raiders officially sign uh, Gerald McCoy. He was in for a workout, showed him enough. Uh, to earn himself a contract. Looking forward to see him when he gets on the field. I would imagine there's, you know, all the necessary protocols in place. So not quite sure when we're going to see uh, Gerald McCoy uh, out at practice. But uh, I figure it's going to be sooner rather than later. And you got to figure that it's going to be something that uh, can potentially uh, help the Raiders. And you start looking at that, you know, the rebuilt defensive line. You add somebody like Gerald McCoy to Patterson. Solomon Thomas, Jonathan Hankins, Cleve Farrell, Max Crosby, uh, Carl, Carl Nassib. It's it's already a group that was looking pretty darn good uh, and versatile, and there's a lot of different uh, skill sets and uh, a lot of versatility, a lot of options. Uh, Malcolm Kuntz, the rookie from Buffalo. Uh, but you bring somebody in that might have a little juice left uh, and somebody that's played that position at an extremely high level uh, over the course of his career – it's worth taking a look at, and if and if you get something out of Gerald McCoy, or if you get some semblance of uh, Gerald McCoy, um, you know, uh, of his former or his his previous self, wow, uh, watch out! So uh, an interesting signing um, for the Raiders. Um, you know, they had a, a roster spot uh, open. Uh, they obviously, I got to check the name of the uh, Demon. If you get a chance, uh, check out the uh, the the new offensive lineman that they signed. Obviously, Sam Young uh, retired uh, the other day, uh, leaving them a little bit vulnerable uh, along the offensive line, at least in terms of bodies, camp bodies. By the way, Sam Young, um, you know, was it was able to talk to some people with the Raiders last night uh, about Sam Young. Um, really highly respected guy. I know that you know it's it's. Uh, for fans, what are you looking at? You're looking at what happens on the field. Was Sam Young the best tackle? No. Uh, did he serve a purpose for the Raiders? Absolutely. He got pushed into way more time than was what originally uh, expected him to play last year. But because of Trent Brown, uh, Damon, you got the name? Um, I'm going to butcher it a little bit because it sounds like a Polynesian last name. Jeremiah Poetowski. Okay. A former UNLV, right? Or Las Vegas. He's... He, uh, I think he grew up in Las Vegas, or um, when you get a chance to uh, to look that up, uh, let us know, because he has local ties, uh, no question about that. But back to Sam Young real quick. Uh, this will never, ever, ever show up in any box score or uh, any tangible like way that, that we could put our finger on it or, or, or gauge it. But I'll tell you this, and this is what I was told. Uh, Sam Young was super, super helpful. Uh, and super influential in the short time that he was working uh, alongside Alex uh, Leatherwood, the young rookie from from Alabama. Sam Young played a uh, a real uh, you know a friend, 
uh, somebody that was helping him get acclimated, someone that was helping him uh, with the playbook, uh, showing him kind of how to be a professional, not that Alex Leatherwood, he obviously gets that side of things, but just getting acclimated uh, in the playbook, in the building, uh, in his new surroundings. Uh, it sounds to me, and it was told to me, that Sam Young really helped uh, Alex Leatherwood. It'll never show up in any box score. Uh, we get that. We understand that. But in the whole scheme of things, uh, in the short period of time that they were together, Sam Young played a valuable role uh, for, for Alex Leatherwood. Uh, I just think that he got to that point where he probably crossed the finish line, and that was that. Uh, it happens. Theo Reddick, uh probably falls into the same category. Like, you know, once... You know, when the when the when the gas tank is empty, it's empty, and there's no use trying to manufacture gas to get by. If you don't have any more left, you know, as a professional athlete, I'm at the end of my line. It sounded like Theo Reddick. It sounded like Sam Young uh, got to that point. Uh, but while they were here, and it's so interesting to hear this because, and you know, um, it really dr- uh, drives home the point that we weren't there. Uh, in the locker room last year, and we still haven't been able to get to the locker room uh, this year. Me and you know uh, some of my co- some of my colleagues, Vic uh, Tafer from uh, the Athletic, and and uh, uh, Paul Gutierrez from ESPN, and some of my colleagues over at the Las Vegas Review Journal. When you when you do this as long as we have, the value in being in the locker room and and getting to know these guys off the field, not just as football players, but as people. Uh, there's a there's usually long periods of time that we're in there on a daily basis uh, where there's a lot of not really interviewing going on. Sometimes you're waiting around for the guy that you want to talk to, and in the meantime, you're talking to Jared Goff or you're talking to uh, you know Aaron Donald or whoever the case might be. Uh, some of the whoever it is that 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 you know you kind of get to know and develop a relationship for or with. Uh, you're shooting, you know, uh, the the fat and, and and talking about things, the Laker game the night before, whatever the case might be. But you're also, when you're in there, you can feel the vibe. You can you can see who uh, other players are kind of gravitating toward. You can see who the, uh, you know, is 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 the prankster, is the funny guy, uh, is bringing the guy that's bringing a lot of energy uh, to the room. And and it's not always the star player. It's not always. You know the big time player. Sometimes it's the third string wide receiver who's the life of the party. You know, and bringing a bunch of energy and making everybody laugh and making everybody understand. You know, this is work, but hey, we we could still have some fun, uh, right? And so, you know, hearing Josh Jacobs and John Gruden talk about theoretic, you know, and about what they were able to bring. We never saw any of it, and theoretic rarely played, but the role he played in teaching, instructing, taking guys under their wing, being a, a, a great spirit, whether it was in the locker room or uh, Zoom meetings or positional group meetings, whatever the case might be, guys have a, a, a positive influence. You don't have to be the guy that's carrying the ball 30 times or getting the most catches or throwing the most balls uh, to be able to have a role or play a role uh, on the evolution of a team, the growth of a team. Uh, being a, a glue guy that keeps the team together. It's, even if it's just, you know, you get to work, you're dragging a little bit, and there's Theoretic or whoever, you know, uh, lighten up the room, full of energy, ready to go, and you're you're thinking to yourself, man, if Theo, you know, uh, if, if he can get after it, I'm going to have to get after it too. Like if he could be uh, in that kind of spirit at that age after doing it as long as he had, what excuse do I have for not being able to bring it a thousand percent? So 
um, you know, uh, uh, that's the kind of role sometimes those guys play that goes unseen. And for us, when you're covering a team, you can easily see that if you're in the locker room all the time. It's not hard to figure out a lot of times uh, who those guys, you know, really are on, on that team and the role that they play that the fans never get a chance to see. And it's fun sometimes to be able to write about that type of story uh, because we're seeing it. And we're sometimes, you know, your eyes and ears as the fans to say, hey, look, you know, Theo Riddick's got 10 carries this year. But what you don't see is what he's doing behind the scenes uh, with this team and helping these guys along and being, uh, like we talked about, um, you know, a great influence in the weight room, in the classroom. Uh, you know, hey, sit up, you know, telling a guy to, to, to act professionally and, and, and this is how you do it. You want to stay around with me? You want to make a, a lifelong pension or, or a lifetime pension in the NFL? You want to stick around the league for 10 years? I'm going to look at how long Theoretic played, but he's, he's gotten some, <laughs> a lot of time uh, in the NFL and that's going to show eventually when he gets older and those, those pension check uh, pension checks start coming in and the lifetime medical and all that why it's because he stuck around for a long time not only just by being a productive player but by being uh, a good person so guys like that unfortunately we can't tell those stories we have to hear about them sometimes uh, it'll be nice to be able to get to a point where we can start seeing it for ourselves and then bringing those stories to you. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and, Bot- and Bahadur. want to say thanks to Bill Williamson uh, for spending some time with us in the huddle. want to thank all the listeners. Uh, thank you so much. You're why we do this. want to say thanks to Devon Cotton uh, for making us sound good, keeping us on time. Really appreciate it, Devon. Uh, we will be back at it tomorrow, 4 to 6 p.m. It's a day off for the Raiders, so gotta get a chance to sleep in a little bit tomorrow. Uh, but you know how we roll. We're going to be on top of things, and we're going to bring it to you tomorrow in the huddle. Brought to you by Tequila Embajador, 4 to 6 p.m. We will talk to you guys mañana.